Okay. Good morning. One other uh, reminder. Next Sunday is a Christmas breakfast potluck. And we will be starting at 10 a.m. And um, we're asking that those of you who are bringing food to share, that you would bring it by 9.30. So if you would, that's kind of a fun little thing that we do. So don't miss it. Don't come at, you know, 10.45. There won't be any kolaches or breakfast tacos left, I don't think. There might be half of a donut left, but it'll be pretty sad. Anyway, join us early for that next week. This morning we're uh, continuing our series, Following Jesus, His Life and Teaching. And as uh, we've been doing, you should have received a handout or will receive a handout. Did the handouts get out this morning? Yet? Um, Not yet. Okay, maybe somebody can check on that. Um, Handout for next Sunday, we're going to be looking at the story of uh, Joseph and the announcement uh, about Jesus' birth to him through the dream. So that's available to you and uh, should be in your hands or you can grab one on the way out. So um, being Christmas, we're now looking at the birth narratives uh, as I started a little ahead of the birth narratives when we began this back in September. And this morning we're going to be reflecting on Jesus' birth foretold to Mary. So let's watch this video clip to see imaginatively how that might have been. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Come, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. How can this be, since I've been with no man? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power from the Most High will overshadow you. And the holy offspring should be called the Son of God. Son of God? Mary, even your cousin Elizabeth, has conceived a son in her old age. For nothing said by God can be impossible. Let it be done to me according to your word. 
Each week as we have looked at another story of the life and teaching of Jesus, we've, we've looked to highlight from the story, uh, what does this passage show us about Jesus and those around him, how they, how they lived? And what does this show us about the eternal kind of life that Jesus is inviting us to? So let me read the, uh, the narrative to us this morning from Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his, David fa his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Because of our familiarity with this story and knowing the rest of the story, it can be easy for us to skim over aspects of it that have relevance to us and our lives. So my goal this morning is to highlight these, uh, some things that I think will help us in our own lives as we live. Let me pray. God, thank you that you are with us. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to enliven your words. And might I decrease and you increase. Would you speak to us each? In Jesus' name, let it be so. A normal day in the life of a normal teenager. Clearly, the day of this encounter was a very memorable and special day in Mary's life, one that she never forgot. But in reality, this encounter happened on a normal day in the life of a normal Jewish teenager in first century Israel. You know, like Mary, many of us probably can recount memorable and special days or times in our lives. Some, maybe while not involving angels, do involve God. And for those, we're very grateful. However, most of us live our lives made up of normal days in the normal life we live. Yet in those normal days of our normal lives, God is active. God is present. God is working. And if by faith we are thoughtful, attentive, 
looking for God, we will see His activity in and around us. And the more we practice being thoughtful, attentive, and looking for God, the more we will grow in seeing and recognizing His activities. So how do we do that? What can that look like? In Romans 8, a verse we looked at a few weeks ago, the Apostle Paul describes what this is like in our normal life. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. The flesh, as described here, is what we can do on our own. It's, it's living by or according to our own power and understanding. Essentially, it's the life lived without God. The focus or worldview of such a person is upon the physical, material world that is seen. And the outcome of such a life, lived according to what we can do on our own, is death or perishing as Jesus called it. The Spirit, in contrast, is what we can and do with God. It's living by or according to my action along with God's power and understanding. This is eternal life or eternal living, as Jesus invites us to. The focus, the, the worldview of such a person is upon and includes the spiritual realm, that which is unseen. And the outcome of this kind of life lived according to God, acting with us, is life. Eternal life, as Jesus called it. In a recent book I was reading, uh, the author James Smith describes the two key affirmations of contemporary science. Hang with me on these two quotes. It will make sense. Smith describes these being the two, two of the key affirmations of, of contemporary science today. Metaphysical naturalism, which affirms, beyond strictly scientific evidence, that the universe is a determined, independent, closed imminent system of natural processes. Secondly, methodological naturalism, which while it may remain agnostic with respect to metaphysical naturalism, meaning not believing in that, nevertheless claims that science qua science must operate as if the universe were a closed system. These descriptions are based on a worldview that is very much focused upon the physical, material world that's seen and that can be known through scientific investigation. Make sense? And what they're saying is that science is, is making a declaration almost without scientific proof. It's a philosophical, it's a worldview, it's a mindset, it's a predetermination that the world, 
that we live in is a closed system, meaning there is nothing that can intervene from outside. We've been raised with that mindset, all of us, that understanding of the world being a closed system. And as a result, the typical Christian, as an outcome of this scientific worldview, thinks of God as being outside the natural system, thus making his activities, such as Mary's encounter with Gabriel, a breaking into this closed system through a supernatural outside-of-nature event. That's what I think probably all of us in this room believe and imagine. The idea, this idea of there being something or someone like God outside this closed system that would intervene through a supernatural event, thereby altering nature or natural order, is unacceptable and rejected by the beliefs and affirmations of science. It's simply precluded. It can't happen. No scientific proof that it can't, but it can't. As a result, we have this seemingly insolvable conflict of faith between science and Christianity. However, Smith suggests that Christian theology, as I'm describing and as I've been talking about over these last, this last half year, about God being with us, God being present, eliminates the conflict by seeing God's involvement not as supernatural, as intervening, as coming from outside the natural order, but rather that God is present and a part of the natural or normal order. God is not outside this system, but rather is within and is a part of the system. God is a participant in the world, not an outsider. Now, I hadn't bumped into that kind of thought process till I read this in the book. But doesn't it make sense? See, that's the worldview, that's the theology that we in the vineyard have lived from. God is not in-breaking occasionally. God is here. That's what we say. He's with us. He's all around us. The Scripture says that. Yet we have lived with this metaphysical naturalism that, that has, has somehow clouded us and, and, and makes attention for us believing that God is here. Because we have this other belief that we've been taught, that, that you got through school and through the movies and through science, maybe not through the movies. Movies are actually outside the, this realm to a great degree. But anyway, we've been taught and we have believed the world's a closed system and when God comes, he's, he's breaking it. He's violating natural order. Mm-mm. Smith's suggesting, no, God's here. God's always been here. The Spirit is always here. The Spirit was brooding over creation. God's not left creation. Again, I've said this before. When Scripture, and particularly in the Gospels, speak of heaven, there, there are numerous heavens, and predominantly they're talking about the atmosphere around us. There is a heaven that is a way off. 
But when it says that the sheet came down from heaven before Peter in the book of Acts and the animals were there and God, he heard God's voice speak from heaven, the best translation is the word atmosphere, the air around him. The sheet came from the air around him. It came from near, not a way off. Anyway, I, I just highlight this, one, because I've been reading the book and was profoundly struck by that. Let me just give you this quote. Smith, Smith speaks of it this way. Another techo technology word. But anyway, phenomena that might be described as miraculous are not instances of God breaking into the world as if God were outside it prior to such events. Rather, they are instances of a unique and special mode of participation that always, already characterizes the world. Pentecostal spirituality and practice don't merely expect that God could interrupt the so-called order of nature. Rather, they assume that the Spirit is always already present and at work in the world. As a result of naturalistic scientific worldview that we have absorbed from our world, we read the miraculous accounts of Scripture as being out of the ordinary, unusual. And I would rather encourage us to stop thinking of God outside our world and think of him as inside our world, as a participant, even as we are participants. That, I think, is a way to understand what the Apostle Paul is describing in Romans 8 and a way to, by faith, be thoughtful, attentive, looking for God who is present and active in and around us in our normal lives and in our normal world. Second phrase, that uh, second idea that I want to highlight is, are the uh, words of Gabriel, the first words to Mary about being favored of God, you who are highly favored. Here's what he said, greetings favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary was really upset at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Now, I don't know why, but whenever I read those first words, I, I imagine Mary sort of, you know, t turning around looking for somebody else that the angel might be talking to. Because I think that's what I would have done. But of course, he was speaking to her, and she was very surprised. We've seen this word favor earlier in our study. When we were looking at the story of Jesus' childhood and teens, Luke tells us the boy grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God's was upon him. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. I mentioned at that time covering those materials and restate here that the word translated favor in both the cases of Jesus and Mary is the Greek word charis, which means grace, which we've talked about and will continue to talk about a lot. The root of the word charis is joy and pleasure. 
So at its core, charis, favor, grace, is a description of the pleasure someone finds in another and as a result extends to them favors, extends to them their favor, their support, and resource. Imagine medieval times, imagine a king, imagine um, Esther and the king in that story from Queen Esther. Imagine a royalty extending favor. It doesn't just mean, hey, I really like you, though it does mean that. It is beyond that, and it has to do with the giving of resources, help, uh, support. That's the root of this understanding of this word grace that we reference for salvation all the time. So let me just restate these statements about Jesus and Mary both in, in a different way relative to this meaning. God's joy and pleasure rested on Jesus. Or as the angel spoke, greetings to you upon whom God's joy and pleasure rests. Isn't that beautiful? Favor. Mm, we get it, but we don't get it. Grace. Mm, we get it, but we don't get it. Uh, often, uh, grace is translated in by many as unmerited favor. But um, as we have taught and suggested before, uh, we would suggest that grace, because of the variety of places where it's being used, including of Jesus, um, gaining more grace from God, that it is not something that he's getting because of unmerited favor, right? So grace has to go beyond that simple term, which really parallels mercy. And we have said, um, grace is God acting in your life to accomplish what you can't accomplish on your own. Or as we've said it historically here, uh, God is, uh, grace is the empowering presence of God to do what he's called us to do, to be what he's called us to be. It's God acting in our life to accomplish what we can't accomplish on our own. The idea in both the case of Jesus and Mary was a declaration of God's joy and pleasure as well as the extension or commitment of God's action in their lives. What Jesus and Mary would face as humans would require more than what they could do on their own, right? Mary could not conceive a son without being with a man on her own. It required the action and activity of God through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, God overshadowing her. So this favor is, is talking about God being pleased with her. And I don't want to take that away in any way from the greatness of who she was and what she did. But I would want to say that the very same grace, favor of God that was on Jesus and on Mary is equally upon us. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 1, 7, 8. In Christ, we have redemption 
through his blood. Redemption means to buy with a price something like a slave. To redeem a slave is to set them free, to buy their freedom. In Christ, we have redemption. We have been, our freedom has been bought with his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Friends, the grace that is upon us is lavished grace, and God was in his right mind when he did it. This is not a fluke. This is full intentionality, as intentional as it was for God to create. The world, the universe, humankind, so is God's intentionality to lavish upon you and me favor, grace. He was so filled with joy and pleasure over you that he sent Jesus. So as we read this story about Mary, it is a beautiful, wonderful story about Mary. But might you never read it again thinking that she was more special than you because it's not true. She was special, but so are you. God's pure agape love for us, his grace and favor are not in any measure less for us than they are for his son. Now I could say, do you believe that? And you'll say, yes. My question is, do you live as if that is true? God's pure agape love for us, his grace and favor are not in any measure less for us than they are for his son. I would suggest that we struggle to live from that place. That the biggest work of the enemy is simply to disqualify us in our own selves. And then, of course, to disqualify our looking at others. Well, they don't sure measure up. That, that's the biggest struggle that we deal with. And it is not true. That disqualification is from the pit of hell. It is not the truth. While grace is something that God does in our life, the Apostle Paul tells us, and I referenced this two weeks ago, tells us that we are to be active in pursuing God's grace. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. See, I think Jesus and Mary, in their younger years, prior to us meeting them as children, per se, and, or in the case of Jesus, or as a young woman in Mary, they were growing in grace. They were active interactive, pursuing and seeking God being active in their life. 
That's what grace is. Grace is God acting in our life. How do we grow in grace? We pursue, we posture ourselves, we live as if God is wanting and willing to act with us in our life. Silly little story. Very silly. Don't condemn us for it, please. Claire and I um, were leaving or coming home. We were coming home from somewhere the other day. We have two citrus trees in the front of our house, right by the street. One of them is a grapefruit tree, and last year we got our first really good uh, harvest from them. We must have had 50 grapefruits or something. It was wonderful. They were, oh my gosh, they were wonderful. We've had wonderful lemon uh, crops for years, and we always at Christmas are able to give away gifts of, of lemons with pe- to people as, as just something, because the, they're just prolific. Well, we pull into our driveway. There aren't any grapefruits on the tree. And there's a scattering of lemons on the top of the lemon tree. There had been hundreds of lemons. There, were, there was probably 30, 40 grapefruit. We don't know when. We don't know who. We do know it wasn't deer. I have a fence that keeps deer away. In fact, next year we're going to put a little sign on it. This, this fence is to keep the deer away. The rest of you don't steal our fruit. I was sitting in the car looking at that empty grapefruit tree and having a hard time. I know it's silly. Please forgive me for my silliness. I was so sad. I was so disappointed. I just, who would violate us like that? I didn't say a word. Parked the car, went in the house, and for a couple of hours, sort of wrestled and invited God. And I, I, at some point, you know, it was, it was our Sabbath, so I, I laid down to take a nap. And... Uh, As I laid down, I thought a thought that I believe was from the Holy Spirit. And again, this won't perhaps work for you, but it's what I understood. He said, Randy, give your fruit to them. Give them the fruit. Release it. Not forgive them for doing you wrong. Give your fruit away. So that's what I did. And I, I was able to take a short nap, which I don't usually do all that easily, and I was able to rise up, and Clara said, how you doing? Because she was still fuming. She had tried and tried and tried to forgive them and to forgive them, and every time she thought about... Then, then what was the phrase you said? Then, then you thought, I don't want to waste no, my... Oh, she's... Go ahead. Just tell them.
So, friends, we live a normal life in a normal world, and weird things happen, and things we don't like happen, and yet God is with us. And what in the world does that mean? How does that make a difference? That's what the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary. Not only that she experienced favor, but he states the amazing truth, the Lord is with you. God is with you. And uh, I talked a few weeks ago about the idea of God, uh, um, the with God life, and would just encourage us. I think this whole talk really focuses around that one thing, that, that we live our lives struggling between this God is outside the world system, he's outside my life, and the truth that we must respond to with faith that, no, God is with me. He is here. And we are the ones that have to allow that to make a difference. And um, I think an absolutely crucial part of this story, moving quickly through, Marie, was her response to all that the angel said. Luke one thirty eight. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. The grace of God may be extended to us. He may desire to act with us. He may be with us, but if we don't respond and act in faith with him, his mighty deeds will not be known. We talked a few weeks ago, Peter in the boat, Jesus preaches from his boat, then he says, hey, take the boat out a little bit deeper and cast your net and catch for a catch of fish. And in the story, it's clear that Peter does not think that they're going to catch any fish. We worked all night, we're the fishermen, I don't know what in the world you're doing. But Peter has enough faith, he has a little faith to say, but because you say so, I will let down the net. And the outcome of his action of faith and obedience along with Jesus' acting with him was a miraculous catch of fish that filled two boats to the point of sinking. Not humanly possible. The story is the same here with Mary. Hey Mary, God is with you. You're favored of God. You're going to bear a son miraculously as a result of God being with you. And this son is the long-awaited Messiah, the very son of God. What do you think? Well, that's very nice of you to offer, but I already have a plan for my life. Joseph and I have already set a wedding date, and we've got it all under control. Uh, nope. That's not what she said. May it be to me as you have said, is a lot like the meaning of the Greek word amen that I referenced a couple weeks ago that we learned does not mean over and out or goodbye. <laughs> Mary's words are words of agreement. Amen. Let it be so. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be so. It sounds a bit crazy. I think there's going to be some challenges, but not my will, 
your will be done. Yes, Lord. Yes, God. I am in agreement. Let it be so. May it be to me as you have said. That, my friends, is what God is still looking for. He's looking for a willing heart, an agreeable soul, an inclusive mind, an available body. Grace is God acting in our life. Faith is our agreement to act with God in what he is doing. That's what we see in the life of Mary. That's what we can learn from this story. Here's what I heard this week in a, a devotional reflection time. Um, the Holy Spirit just sort of broke in and began to speak. Here's what he said to me. I believe would be a word to all of us. I am with you is my greatest gift, my greatest grace that is always available. But you must act. You must trust me. Stepping towards, reaching towards, receiving me, which is the same as receiving my grace. Grace at its center is me with you, but even greater is me with you and you experiencing me, seeing me, hearing me. But that, as you understand, requires you being according to the Spirit and not according to the material world. Grace and faith. Faith and grace. Me acting, you acting. It will always be this way. I was pretty encouraged. I hope you are as well. If by faith we are thoughtful, attentive, and looking for God, we will see God's activity in and around us. We will experience him with us. Even when the circumstances don't change and don't go away. The things we wish weren't so. Even there, God can be with us. God is with us if we're willing to embrace him. And the more we practice being thoughtful, attentive, and looking for God, the more we will grow in seeing and recognizing God's activity and experiencing him with us. That's what I believe is God's invitation to us from this story of Mary. As we hear his voice, as we read his word, as we hear him whispering to us, are we willing to say, yes, Lord? Are we willing to trust him? Are we willing to act with him even when the invitation seems audacious, crazy? We're heading into a wonderful season, a time when we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Might we walk through this season in that grace and walk out of it continuing in that same grace. Let's pray.
I'm just going to give you a moment to consider and reflect what's been spoken. To consider what is God's invitation to you this morning from this time. And what is your response? There is no greater grace than that you are with us, God. There is nothing we need more. Would you help us to live as if it is so? And to be those who say to you, may it be to me as you have said. Let it be so. In Jesus' name. Thanks for coming. Have a good week. First week of December. It really should still be, I think, December of last year, but we lost a year somewhere and it's December again. I don't know what happened to it. Next week, come early, 9.30 to bring food, 10 o'clock to eat it, 10.30 to miss it. <laughs> and then the following Sunday, the 17th, will be kind of a special Christmas service. Kids will be with us. Uh, there's kids are going to sing and dance and, you know, we'll have a full dramatic presentation. No, 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 that was... 15 years ago, excuse me. Uh, anyway, looking forward to being with you again uh, next week. Have a great time. We're here to pray with you. Uh, have a good week. Have a God-filled week. Have a with God week. Uh, we're here to pray with you. We'd love the opportunity to do that. If any of you would uh, desire or would uh, wish us to come alongside you in your journey with God. Grace to you.